if you're trying out a new innovative idea, there's a chance that it could work and there's a chance that it doesn't. And so how do you make good decisions when you when there's a lot of uncertainty about what the final outcome will be? This is the Leadership 480 Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Leadership 480 Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Alms, and today's topic is one of the most critical things that any leader needs to do, make decisions. Our guest today is Tyler Ludlow, and he's going to talk to us about decision science. Tyler is the founder and chief decision scientist at the Decision Skills Institute. He has deep experience guiding leaders at some of the world's largest companies like Unilever and Eli Lilly make better strategic decisions with practical science-driven approach. So we're going to see if Tyler can help us do that today as leaders. Tyler, it's a pleasure to have you join us on the Leadership 480 podcast. Excellent. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So let's start by talking a little bit why you even got into this business in the first place. What is it about how leaders make decisions that drove you to build your career on this? Uh, good question. Um, you know, not too long ago, I stumbled across a video on the internet. It's a, a snippet of a Jeff Bezos interview. And uh, he's talking about sleep and how much sleep he gets and whatnot. And he describes that, he says, as a senior leader in a, in a company, what do you get paid to do? And he said, you know, by and large, it's, it's, to, make a, it's to make a few high quality decisions. And he said, you know, I mean, in his day, he said, if I make three good decisions, then then that was a good day. Um, I think that what I found in over my career and, and I guess what intrigued me is that, um, you know, most most of us, I would say, including myself, before I kind of came across decision science myself, I never received training growing up in, in school or college about how to make good decisions regularly, consistently. I mean, we all do it all the time, and I'm sure we all have mentors or parents or folks who help us with you know tough choices. But the idea that there is a structured, repeatable process that you can turn to in any instance, um, I think is is news to most people. And, and the ability to then follow that, deliver on it, right? Being one of the core aspects of what it means to truly be a leader. I think that's really interesting, Tyler. And yeah, something we all underestimate is every day we're making like like thousands of these little decisions but then it comes down to a couple of key ones and and what we decide in that day is so crucial. So when you talk about a repeatable process, um, I'm unfamiliar. Tell me a little bit about <laughs> what decision science is um, and, and how you can apply that. Right. So I th like my little go to one liner, if somebody asks me, like, what is decision science? And we're like, you know, in a cab or on an elevator or something, is I say I usually just respond by saying it's just a structured structured way of thinking. Um, and there is, I mean, I have a bit of a background in math, and that was kind of an aptitude aptitude of mine growing up. Um, and there's definitely math and statistics that are there. Uh, many people who get into the field, that's part of what attracts them, is that side of it. There's also a, a sort of a uh, a behavioral psychological side to it you know how do we actually make decisions and for me it was the blending of the two both the people human behavioral and the mathematical pattern problem solving side both being there together that sort of intrigued and enticed me in the beginning um but when done right it it, it it's a bit of 
being willing to press the pause button with whatever is currently going on and, and likely overwhelming to some degree and be able to, like you might do in any situation, just sort of follow a bit of a, of, of a standard process to walk through something just to help keep your thoughts straight, to not forget things um, and, and to deal with all of those complexities. Um, and lo and behold, there is a way to do that uh, with decision science where there is sort of a common pattern to how op choices, opportunities, problems, decisions sort of show up in our life or in our business. Let's talk a little bit about that pattern. Um, so as it breaks down into some steps, let's say you've got a tough decision ahead of you um, as a leader, how do you start to break that down into these steps of decision science? So it's it's the type of process that's it's very flexible. So you could um, you could sort of malleable, kind of fit it to whatever situation or context you're in. Um, I think in general, the almost always the best or needed starting point is to be thoughtful about and to clarify and specify uh, our values, the, the criteria that are gonna guide in this context, how you identify your preferred solution or preferred alternative. Um, it, it's something that uh, like, for example, like. If you were to go in, say, to, to a car lot and to look at buying a new car, um, the salesperson most likely is going to start talking to you about different features of different vehicles, um, which in the decision science world, that's a discussion about alternatives. Like, what are the choices? What are the different attributes that are available? Um, and that's how a lot of marketing is done. They talk about the attributes of the product, what it, what it does and whatnot. Um, but as a as a buyer, if I can walk in and know what's important to me, uh, we were joking earlier before we started recording about we have 10 kids at home. So having a vehicle like a sports car um, in general, having room for all those enough seat belts in the vehicle like that's our a number one priority. Right. We could say maybe safety is high for us or um, we've learned over time that, you know, by a lot of vehicles that even just use vehicles that have use luxury vehicles that have le uh, leather seats. Uh, leather seats clean up spills a lot better than cloth seats. And to us, that's been important over time. So when we go to buy a vehicle, I can walk in and just say, look, I'm interested in ones that have, you know, yeah, have leather seats that have this and that have that. I can specify what's important to me, the factors, the sort of the criteria or the dimensions that I'm going to use to select which alternative I want to go forward with. And it's funny how often that that part is never done. We tend to, and it's a bit of a cultural thing, but we tend to jump in and feel like in order to be making progress on the decision, we ought to be gathering information or cranking data or doing calculations or something to analyze and then choose. Um, but usually, uh, I would say almost always benefit by first reflecting on what we really care about what's important out of this um, as, as, as a primary step. I, I think that's a really valuable you know, moment of pause before before you do anything. That's the leader. <laughs> Take a look at your values. What what is it ultimately that's driving you um, and driving this decision in the first place? So once you've kind of defined your values, how do you start taking action on that? So so you've got the decision in front of you. You know what's important to you. How do you start taking those next steps? So then it. it from values, most of the time, the natural sort of next step would be to start to look at the alternatives that are available. Um, and sometimes there's a, a, a sort of a midpoint there where you're 
try to distinguish is this just one single decision that I'm choosing between uh, or like back to the car example, do, which car am I buying? Or is it first a discussion is what do we need a vehicle? Like maybe it's a transportation problem. Like we could be looking at alternatives of ride sharing or getting a bike or walking or, you know, whatever it might be. And if one of those alternatives was then a vehicle and I was like, yes, first decision, do we need a vehicle? And the answer is yes. Next decision, okay, now which one? So sometimes what even what looks like or seems like one problem or one decision in the beginning often can with clarity be broken up into multiple decisions. But then for each decision, it's a, the next step is typically to be thinking about the alternatives that we're considering. Um, for uh, a lot of the time, the way that we don't make the best decision possible isn't that we didn't um, choose between the alternatives in an appropriate manner or in a rational manner, but oftentimes it's because we didn't consider a broad enough set of alternatives to begin with. A lot of businesses leave value on the table, so to speak, by not being more creative about their options to start with. And they miss, they completely miss a better option, um, not because they wouldn't have chosen it in the mix, but they never put it in the mix to begin with. Um, so the values are, are important because they help us to decide which alternatives go on the table to be considered. And sometimes that means we think a little more creatively, a little differently, or we push the boundaries in, in a way that we weren't considering before um, to put the, the enticing and probable ones on the table. Um, values also help us to sort of distinguish between all the alternatives that we really shouldn't waste our time getting into the details of because it's clear they don't meet the initial sort of starting criteria. Um, we don't look at, if we were looking to buy a house, we would never consider a house that only had three bedrooms. That just right. goes out the window, right? Um, or even four, maybe for that matter. But having those criteria, those thresholds allow us to, to not be overwhelmed with alternatives and to get really clear about which ones first go on the table and then how we start deciphering between them to recognize which is the most preferred. I think that's really interesting as you talk about the create, you know, being a little bit more creative with some solutions. Um, and it brings to mind to me that one of the big decisions a lot of leaders have to make is, is, is around innovation, whether it's big innovation or small innovation. You know, let's say your team is coming to you and say like, oh, we've got this, you know, we've got a great idea of how to solve this problem. And maybe some folks on the team want to, want to do one thing and they have some ideas or and some folks want to do another. Um, these are some of the riskiest decisions leaders make, you know, do, do I let this person run with the idea? Right. You know, I don't know if it's going to work out because this is new. Do I put budget behind this? How does decision science help a leader to think through a problem like that um, very thoughtfully? I think there's, there's probably many ways, but um, two key ways come to mind. So if we talk about, uh, lots of times I'll say that Clarity with values leads to creativity with alternatives. Um, and so when we talk about being innovative or the idea of thinking creatively or innovation or whatever, um, uh, sometimes like it's it's not a question of, can I just have more ideas, different ways of thinking? Right. It's about having more ideas that are compelling or enticing or that you might actually be intrigued about. Um, mm -hmm. So having that clarity with, the, with, 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 that, with what our values are then allows us to sort of challenge ourselves and, and, and oftentimes be able to think more creatively, identifying uh, new solutions that we didn't think of before. Um, uh, you know, one, one story that I've shared before, uh, we were on vacation one time as a family and we had driven like 13 hours away to Pennsylvania from Indianapolis. We'd been there for a few days 
and we were getting ready. Uh, 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 maybe about two days later, we'd be coming back home. And I had come downstairs from the in the house that we were staying in from tucking in my little ones. And I came downstairs to find my wife and my son talking about our departure time a couple of days later of when to come home. And my son was petitioning my wife to make it home in time for a basketball game that he wanted to be able to play in. So he was, he was on the school team. And uh, so I came down and I started listening to the conversation and was, you know, start to jump into it. And they were talking about leaving like extra early in the morning to make it back at home in time for like a 7 p.m. game. And I was thinking to myself, like, it took us like 13 hours to get here. I think it may have been like a 10 hour drive technically, but it took us 13. So I was <laughs> like, that's that's leaving. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. Um, but that's like leaving at like 6 a.m. And if we want to guarantee, like he need to be there a little early for his game. And if we wanted to guarantee it, then that's leaving like at 5 a.m. And like my wife was passionate about wanting to support our children. She's always been that way. And, and, and so, and I agree with that. Right. But my dad brain was like, but 5 a.m., like <laughs> all the other kids in the car, especially the little ones, like we're going to have a miserable trip for 13, 14, 15 hours, whatever it is, all because we wanted to, had to get up at 5 a.m. to try and make it to this game. And I hope my son doesn't hear this uh, interview, but like <laughs> at the time he was a sophomore playing on the varsity team and he didn't play. Like he genuinely, so like I was like, we're going to drive that miserable drive all the way there just to get him, which I, I wanted to support him as a dad, but for the chance of playing like a minute or two. And I was like, ah. And so um, as we were, you know, in my mind, those are some of my thoughts. Um, but I tried to put on a, a more of a decision science hat. We talked about starting with values. And so I said to him, I said, Adam, what is it about making it on time to your game that's so important to you? Um, and I don't think as a dad, I would necessarily ask that good of a question. But because I was wearing my little decision scientist hat, I would, that's how it came out. And my son, I was really impressed with him because he sat there quietly for a second. And then he said, I want my coaches to know that I'm committed to the team. Mm. Um, and that to me was like at the before in the conversation, it was the value criteria in my mind that I was hearing was, does he make it to the game or not? Yes or no. Um, now I've, I felt like we had clarified that to essentially say what was really mattered to him was that his coaches knew that he was committed and having that clarity then I started to think, okay, well, what are the various, are there other options that would allow us to be able to communicate that commitment? And so I started to think, well, what if we leave early and then we don't, like say something happens, you know, diaper blowout or whatever it was with the kids and we take long and we don't make it. So what if we're a couple hours away and we start to realize there's no way we're making it on time for this game. What if I then called your coach or texted or emailed them and explained, Adam got us up early, he was so committed, blah, 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 blah but we didn't make it. I just wanted you to know that, you know, he was really, he really wanted to get us there though. I said, would that, how does that fare, you know, compare with actually being there? And he said, oh, yeah, that, I mean, not quite the same, but like pretty close, that would, that would work. Mm -hmm. And so then my mind was like, what if we, <laughs> I was like, Adam, you can't do this, but what if we just leave late, but I send <laughs> the same message and I'm like, <laughs> we tried, blah, 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 blah. You know, cause I'm like, as a dad, that would be a nice balance. But, um, so we didn't do that, but we started, then I started thinking to myself, well, what if we, what if we paid to get Adam there? Like how much would we pay? And we started looking at a one-way flight or a train ticket. And in the end, what we, once we had, and I asked him, I said, Adam, would you be willing to pay money to get there on your own? How much money do you have? And he's like, well, I've got like 40 bucks in my bank account. And so in the end, we ended up um, leaving the night before 
driving halfway, um, getting a hotel room, which was a bit silly because we'd already rented the rental house for that same night. But but he chipped in his 40 bucks. We paid like $100 or whatever it was, which was enough for us to commit to our son. Like that's, we'll, we'll get behind that. And in the end, we ended up having a better trip. He got to show the commitment. It was better all the way around. It was an idea that we never would have thought of if I first didn't have the clarity on what his value criteria were. And then even the criteria of like, well, what about money? What if what if we could put money? Would you pay for this? And would that trade-off be enough? So sometimes, like frequently try to drive towards clarity with those values as a way to then think creative in sort of a process fashion. Like it's hard to just say, think more creative. Like, I mean, that's hard to do that. But if you have a mechanism that helps you, sort of a process behind it, then, then it is easy to come up with these new innovative ideas. Um, so I think that was like, that's one answer to your question about how decision <laughs> science can help with innovation. I think the other one that jumped to my mind, because that's like how you come up with innovative ideas. But in your question, you had said, well, those are the risky ones. How do you choose whether to do it or not? Um, I think that comes down to how do you deal with uncertainty? Um, if you're trying out a new innovative idea, there's a chance that it could work and there's a chance that it doesn't. And then maybe there's a chance that it's halfway in between or, you know, whatever. And so how do you make good decisions when you when there's a lot of uncertainty about what the final outcome will be? That is like hands down what decision science is built around is how to sort of get a hold using a little bit of probability and mathematics, but it doesn't have to be complicated by any means. But how do you get a hold on um, uncertain possibilities? And so that you make the best decision where you don't control the outcome, but you know, sort of like on average, I'd, I'd, I'd be choosing the best, I'd be choosing the best choice each time. Um, so there are mechanisms to do that. There's mechanisms to kind of use rules of thumb, heuristics to be able to make good choices even quickly in the face of uncertainty. But that is the other way that I think decision science could help with innovation. That's, I, I really love those examples. Um, and I do hope that your son, Adam, is the biggest fan of this show now. Like, I hope he's like our, <laughs> our, number, our number one listener. That's, that's my dearest wish at this point. Um, but I do think, you know, that example of how to really look, reframe looking at values, looking at really what's driving. And I, I could really see, too, how, you know, if you're a leader of a team where you've got groups that say, I want to do it this way and I want to do it this way, kind of bringing some of them together about why this way, why, what is so important about it, what's the real value, um, could really help drive some alignment uh, behind those decisions and behind that creativity. Yeah. So one of the things, you know, as, you, as even as you were telling your story about um, your son, what, it, what struck me is how critical to is managing emotions through these decisions. Um, so... You know, a lot of times we're humans and it's and like you've got this gut feeling of like, I've got to do this. And sometimes you don't always even know why, but you feel like this is what we really need to do. And I feel really passionately about that. Um, so how does decision science help you to manage your own emotions first and then the emotions of maybe others who are who are a part of this decision that you're making? Right. Um, the. I'm going to steal a quote from my friend Carl. He was sort of one of the founding fathers of decision science, um, especially as it's been applied to like business. Um, and he has a quote where he says, a, a good decision is one that both makes sense and feels right. 
Mm. Um, and uh, like I say that to myself or anyone that I share that with, they do exactly what you did. Nod your head up and down like yeah. that, that it just makes sense. It's really simple. Um, but there's power in that. Like if it, if it feels right, but it's not making sense on paper or, or the other way around, like then, then you go back and you look at the numbers and, and think, do we got the right numbers and are they, are they cr cranking it right? Or if it's, if it, if it's, um, if it's making sense sort of rationally, but there's something about it that's just nagging, it doesn't feel right. Well, then there's some, there's some bit that typically hasn't been included. You know, maybe we were oversimplifying the way we were considering that uncertainty, or maybe our assessment of the likelihood of something happening or big or small was, was a bit off. And so you go back and I think there's sort of an iterative process to get the structure of the decision built in a way that it mimics reality close enough where you say, yeah, all the big, the big pieces are in there. All of the, the big issues at hand, the big things that I care, whatever it is, they're all built in so that then when that, when you use that structure or that model and it kind of reveals sort of its recommendation to you or helps, you know, sift through rationally the logic and say, this is where it's landing on. Sometimes that will be like an aha where you're like, ah, I didn't see that before. But the process now has educated my gut a bit so that I'm comfortable with it. And other times the answer will crank out and you'll be like, I thought that. Like it confirms what felt, but now you have the thinking that you could rationally sort of explain it or write like a, like the way the Supreme Court, what is it called when they, when they sort of lay out their response, right? It's just like, boom, but we chose, you know, we decided to go this way for this reason, this reason, this reason, this reason. That's sort of a, a way if you could communicate the rationale behind why you cho chose a, a certain alternative. Um, sometimes we start and our gut was there all along, but we lacked that rationale. So going through the process can help fill it in. But in general, the goal is to, you know, not make that choice until it both makes sense and feels right. And you just utilize the same framework to fill in whichever side is lacking uh, or, you know, sort of lagging behind or whatever. Um, I think the other element is that in that framework, um, I had, you know, I was leading a, a corporate workshop once and very thoughtful gentleman after about a day and a half of working together, he had asked me, what do you do with emotions um, in, in this decision-making stuff? And I remember the response that kind of came to me as we were chatting was something like, well, in decision science, there's room to integrate emotions into either the value criteria or the uncertainty or how we're thinking about it. But you do it in a way where it's integrated, where those emotions are integrated without the decision becoming emotional. Um, and I think there's a big difference there of um, we don't let our emotions dictate or become sort of unrational about it. But it's not about turning everything into a number. There just needs to be a way to bring in sometimes very intangible emotional things that are quite powerful and give them a space to sort of exist in the structure of that decision. I think that's really that's really interesting about building in emotions into the decision um and i'm curious if you've seen a lot of experiences where where leaders really do you know great leaders often do this they change their mind you know based on the data before them but i've also seen a lot of really really good leaders who are stuck on an idea no much and no matter how much data they get from their teams or how much proof there is they still want to go with what they want to go with um, do you find that this process really helps or that there are ways to um, facilitate, like, do you facilitate that thinking on your own or to help others through that thinking of, to, you know, that 
sometimes they just they still want to do what they want to do regardless of what the rational <laughs> thing. I think so your question it reminds me of an experience I had um, sort of much earlier in my career I had just joined Lily Eli Lilly in the pharma industry and was helping work on big decisions there and we had this big you know couple hundred million dollar investment decision in uh, cancer in oncology research okay. and um as a somewhat junior individual, I joined this team and we'd work through, um, it was a it was a choice around which tumors to begin researching this certain drug in. And um, most, I think any oncologist that works in that area would tell you that there is some rationale behind, but there is also uh, in, in that space, you just don't know how things are gonna work. And so you kind of try this, that, or the other. It's a bit more shotgun type type approach at times. So we were trying to prioritize these different tumor types based on a number of different criteria and be very thoughtful about it. And we'd come up with a recommendation and we were presenting that to, to sort of the executive senior level leadership in the company. And in that discussion, they kind of acknowledged this is very thoughtful, this is very good, but we're gonna do it this way. And they swapped out some things to our recommendation about which tumor types to, to investigate in. And it I hated the experience. Like it really rubbed me the wrong way. I was like, how frustrating. Why did we just spend all that time being all thoughtful about this just to have it swapped? We could have just fast forwarded to that point and moved on. Um, and as I thought more about it and I had you know discussion with some colleagues both on the project and then other decision scientists that were in my team, you know, what I think we all came to a conclusion is that like the process works really well if you do it right. If we had sat with some of those senior leaders that maybe we didn't take the time to take time with, so to speak. But if we had sat with them and if they'd been willing to divulge their criteria, their value criteria, what was important to them, um, it then like that could have been built into the framework. And it, we would have gotten the answer either that they already had or we might have even gotten a better answer is probably the is is probably the answer. But but theirs would have been baked in. And like I've worked with a couple companies that were trying to establish a decision science group. And I remember having a conversation with one a couple of years ago. And they were kind of asking me, like, well, what are some of the big pitfalls to trying to do this in a, in a significant way across the organization? And I said, the biggest thing that stands out to me is if you have a lack of transparency, if you have people that aren't willing to be so clear about what's important to them that they, it can't be then baked into that you know, structure, that context, construct, um, then you're going to you'll end up with the experience that I had where you you know you walk in thinking that you've done all this great work this this is the right choice forward and then it just feels like it got flipped on its head but you know the decision maker that flipped it on its head they may have been incredibly rational they just didn't share what, what you know what was in the back of their mind um so without that transparency it it, it can go wrong uh but with it um it works really well mhm i that's such valuable insight to you know especially as you're dealing with any leaders dealing with a lot of stakeholders whether it's more seen you know whether you're a frontline leader who's has who's got senior stakeholders in it or whether you are the ceo and you've got to please your board um right. either way there's there's that value behind it and and it sounds like you know a lot of times if this process doesn't work it might be because you had the wrong inputs and values um that didn't meet the that stakeholder criteria um and it and it brings me to my next question which you know half of this equation is 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 the what to do um but what a part of half of it for leaders too is also a lot a lot of times around the who um mm. so the the people decisions which are often much more sub subjective so when you're looking at 
a lot of these tough decisions, sometimes it's um, who you need on your team, who should who should get a promotion, who should work on a project, who should get a, um, you know, if you're forced to go through layoffs, who who could you live without? And those are horrible and <laughs> decisions sometimes, you know, when you're looking at, you know, you're not looking at a numbers game, you're looking at people. Um, so how have you seen maybe decision science help with even some of those more complicated human decisions? Yeah. Um, I, back, so I guess if we blend together maybe a couple of the things that have come up before. So the idea of being able to be uh, clear about our values, our criteria, right? Um, I think it's something that if you're considering a people decision like that and, and it's a, the criteria starts to become ways that you would evaluate an individual or a group of individuals, it can become awkward a bit to codify what <laughs> what is preferred about one individual versus the other or whatnot. Um, but the ability to, 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 again, back to the very beginning of, of what is decision science, the ability to kind of press the pause button and then to reflect and like we were saying, to be transparent um, with ourselves. And I think that you, you were, you know, when we were talking about that, the, the need for transparency, um, and I had kind of shared a story of wishing that I had learned better what the criteria were from, from the leader at the time. I think if you just flip the tables and say, as a leader yourself, it's it's extremely important for you to do the work to be clear about what those criteria are to you know whether that is in a decision that's all business or whether it's about people people still prefer to hear the why behind something and the more that you can be clear about starting with those criteria um, understanding being able to use those criteria to explain why one alternative was preferred over the other um, trying to think of an exact instance. I know in like, I, I, I kind of view a lot of management as very similar to parenting um, <laughs> and in working with like our kids, if I can, I might give them very disappointing news. They can't go to the party or do the activity or whatever it is that want to. But if I can just explain, uh, uh, simply speaking, the rationale in terms of why it that it wasn't worth it in, it, in, in mom and dad's opinion, it wasn't worth it in this case. Um, They'll go along with it. Even sometimes, I think one of the biggest ways in which um, that explanation shows up is in terms of short-term versus long-term. And sometimes a long-term perspective on, an, on a decision is given more weight. And sometimes you say, well, the short, no, we need something to replace at Lilly. We had instances where it was like, in general, we wanted to be working on the more valuable drugs, but sometimes you needed a drug to replace something at, at this point in time because you were losing patent on other stuff. And so you went with maybe a less valuable opportunity in the long term, but because it showed up sooner, right? And that timing was more important. And so sometimes that that trade-off is important. And that's a, I mean, uh, I think you, you do people a, a service when you show them the respect to be able to communicate in clear certain terms what the rationale was for, for moving forward in a certain way, even if that is a difficult choice between, you know, people. Um, so I think one element there is 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 in working with people and decision science is, is using that clarity that we talked about and, and, and using it in, in the form of being able to communicate what the why behind decisions. Um, I think there's another element there um, in working with folks that I found and, and other people have told me as they've learned decision science is that um, as a leader, you know, one of my, I think any good leader, one of their objectives is to be able to empower their, uh, their employees or their, you know, direct reports with the ability to have sort of independence and be able to make decisions in different cases, like be able to go off and, and you know, sort of divide and conquer with with their 
little sphere of, of, of accountability. Um, and so I had seen and heard from others say that decision science gives them the ability to uh, empower folks by um, by setting up, you know, this is the decision that we're talking about making. I'm turning it over to you. As a leader, sometimes when you go then to check in on that employee or check in on that work, it's really easy, just like I think as a parent, to accidentally pull that decision back. You're just trying to check in on it. You're just trying to talk. You're just trying to give a little bit of your experience, your expertise, but you end up doing it in a way my kids, the, if they heard this, they'd be rolling their eyes right now. Like, yeah, dad, you do that all the time. Um, I don't think I am. I think I'm empowering them. But in the end, they're like, whatever, dad, whatever you want to do. Um, and of course, that's, that's, that's not a good way to do it. But if you have the clarity of that decision science, you realize, okay, look, I'm just helping to give, inform our assessment of this uncertainty. I'm not pulling the decision back. I'm just wanting to weigh in where I came with my expertise. Or like we talked about before, I'm gonna give you the clarity about what the value criteria in play here are. It's this, this, and this. I still want you to go do all the work. What all your alternatives? Let's think creatively. Let's look at how they you know do the analysis, the assessment, all that kind of, and play it back to me in terms of those value criteria. Why that one is preferred? There's still a lot of work to do on the decision. I'm just going to weigh in as as the leader it with kind of like with what my responsibility is for for clarity. Um, so I think I don't know if I rambled on or answered a different question there, but that's <laughs> one of the other ways that I think decision science works really well as a sort of a shared common language or construct between employees and 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 leaders uh, and being able to sort of divide and conquer and empower. I I couldn't agree more. I, I it was really actually I thought it was very great the way you put it. Um, it's one of actually, so at DDI, we have like five key principles we teach leaders and sharing thoughts, feelings, and rationale behind decisions is is one of our key principles mm -hmm. that I personally find very, very valuable, although sometimes it can, of course, be be hard if it's, if you know the thoughts, feelings, or rationale isn't what someone wants to hear. Um, <laughs> definitely painful, but but necessary, so. Right, right, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I'm sure you get all of the time, too, too, with your, your kids and, um, I do hope I we gain ten followers, listeners for this show. Like tomorrow, like they're, they're all your kids. They're just wondering, <laughs> wondering the method behind. I'll let them know. I'll let them know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now for my my last question, which is one that I ask all of our guests on the show, um, it's about a moment of leadership that really had an impact on you. Um, whether it was whether it was good to say that like this put me on this path forward, or negative to say like. And that was when I decided never to do this again, kind of thing. Um, what was the moment of leadership that really impacted your life? Um, so I don't know that this is all that profound, but it's what jumped to my mind as, as you asked the question. Um, my very first job after graduating with my MBA, I had kind of talked myself into a role in the IT part of this uh, IT organization in this uh, very large global company. Um, I didn't have a background in IT, um, but what they were wanting done, I felt like, well, I can, I, have, I, I can do that. I can talk and translate and communicate and problem solve. Um, and so they hired me. And my first boss in that space, um, I remember having a conversation with, her name was Debbie. I remember having a conversation with Debbie early on. And this is like so silly and trivial, but uh, she had said, she had given me a task, I forget what it was, it was related to design of some new computer system or something. She'd given me a task to do like, oh, you need to do this. And then I remember like she paused for a second and said something like, and if you want a real challenge, 
blah, 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 blah. And she stated like a bigger or more in-depth uh, way that I could solve that. And I don't know that she really knew what she was doing. I mean, she's a wonderful person. I, maybe I should give her credit and that she didn't know <laughs> what she was doing. But um, she, what that, what I heard as, as her employee was when she said, or if you want a real challenge, I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do the minimum. I'm going to try and do that. Um, just as a turn of like wanting to impress her or self mastery or whatever. And so I went after it and I, I did do the bigger thing, the better or whatever it was. And I was real excited to like, you know, I think I had maybe a weekly or a biweekly one-on-one with her or whatever. And so the next one I was like, I'm going to show Debbie, like, and not only did I do the <laughs> one, but I did the bigger version of it. Um, and I thought about, I don't, I don't know that I have ingrained that perfectly in, in me, but I thought about that before in terms of, um, you know, there's something to be said for like being really clear about, okay, this is what I need done clear. Um, but this, like to be able to present something as like, she gave me the choice of whether I wanted to seek after that bigger thing. And I think it was more powerful and more meaningful because not only did I do that bigger work, but it was my choice to do it in that bigger way. Um, and she got a lot more out of me. Um, again, I don't know that that was exactly incredibly preconceived on her part. It just seemed very natural the way that it occurred. Um, but that's what jumped to my mind when, when you had asked, you know, um, impactful leadership moments. Um, that's what jumped out. That's a, that's a great story. That, that moment of opportunity, just opening the door for someone, how that really drove for better performance. Um, and such a great lesson for our leaders of the small things you can do to encourage and inspire your team. Um, so thank you so much for the conversation today, Tyler. It was just a pleasure having you on the show. And I think you brought so much value to our leaders who are probably thinking through tough decisions right now. And I'm hoping use this to take a moment and reflect. So thank you so much. You're very welcome. It's enjoyable to be here. I hope it is. I hope you do get at least those 10 new listeners. I'll work <laughs> on, on the 10 that I know. Maybe there's even more than that that, that come on board. I will be tracking uh, very closely to see if we get those 10 all at once. Um, and thank you to all of our listeners who spent part of their 480 minutes with us today. I'm Beth Alms, reminding you to make every moment of leadership count.